G'day everyone, it's Nikki and welcome to the Road Less Travelled Podcast. Great to have your company and thanks very much for tuning in if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio or Spotify. Thanks very much, we really appreciate it. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like and give us a share as well and let your friends know that the Road Less Travelled Podcast is up and about. And a big thanks to the folks at Radio Bayside down there in Mordialic, to Artie Stevens and the crew down there for supporting the show. We trust that you're enjoying the podcast that we're putting together. A bit about the podcast, if you've not listened before. It's all about Australian travel. There'll be a bit of history in there, a little bit of tales off the beaten track or on the road that may be well-worn. There's plenty of tales and places of accommodation, recipes as well. We'll look at camping, uh, caravanning, maybe even a bit of fishing as well. This week, I thought that we'd have a bit of a chat about gold. You know that I love gold, and um, a few of you made a mention on, well, rewind getting excited speak of gold i get excited um have made mention that um the we haven't done any podcasts regarding gold and it was a good indication of uh i went up recently and did a little bit of uh, panning and sluicing and high banking and put a little video up on our facebook page and people went absolutely ballistic said uh, tell us more about gold so what got me interested in gold? I don't really know. Um, my great-grandfather was a sort of a alluvial gold miner and that's pretty much what kept the family going during the Great Depression. So I'm not really sure. It's just something that's fascinated me. And it also fascinated me with the story of um, Lassiter's Reef or Lassiter's Gold, um, which was per- perhaps uh, a fabulously rich gold deposit, allegedly in a remote and sort of desolate corner of Central Australia. And the accounts of the find were pretty much conflicting and its precise location remains a mystery if it actually exists. So I thought this week we'd have a little bit of a chat about Lassiter's Reef. And it was all sort of a purported discovery announced by Harold Bell Lassiter in 1929 and 1930, thus the name Lassiter's Reef. He made different and possibly conflicting claims that either in 1911 or 1897, bit of a difference, he had discovered a rich gold deposit um, and on the 14th of October 1929 he wrote a letter to Kalgoorlie's federal member who was Albert Green claiming to have discovered a vast gold-bearing reef in central Australia 18 years earlier and it was located at the western edge of the McDonnell Ranges. He made, he being Lassiter, made a similar claim to other officials and he was interviewed by a commissioner and a geologist. However, the government took no action to investigate the claim. It was revealed that from 1908 to 1913, Lassiter lived on a leasehold farm near uh, Tabulum. In March 1930, he provided a different story to John Bailey of the Australia's Workers' Union. Now, in this claim, Lassiter's deep he actually detailed that as a young man at the age of 17, he rode on horse from Queensland to the West Australian goldfields, during which he stumbled across a huge gold reef somewhere near the border between the Northern Territory and Western Australia. However, Lassiter, who had been sentenced to reform school at that time, so who knows, according to the story told to Bailey, Lassiter was about 700 miles or about 1,100 kilometres west of Alice Springs and aligned towards Kalgoorlie. He claimed that subsequent to this discovery, he got into difficulties and was fortuitously rescued by a passing Afghan camel driver who took him to the camp of a surveyor, Joseph Harding. Now, Harding and Lassiter were said to have later returned to the reef in the attempt to fix its location, but this failed because their watches were inaccurate. 
as the exhibition exhibition ex, <laughs> expedition with Harding dated in the years before World War One, the two different versions of the story about fighting of the reef could have been pretty much unconflicting. It is possible, though, that Lasseter did refer sometimes to his first fighting in 1897 and sometimes to the first expedition with Harding himself. According to Lasseter, he spent the next three decades trying to raise sufficient interest to fund an expedition to the interior. But at the time, the fortunes being made from the gold rush at Kalgoorlie and WA meant that no one was prepared to risk trekking to the uncharted desert wilderness of Central Australia, even if the supposed discovery of gold was as rich as he claimed. So by 1930, when Australia was in the grip of the Great Depression, the attractions of desert gold were much greater, and Lasseter succeeded in securing approximately £50,000, which was a huge amount of money, in private funding towards an expedition to relocate, to relocate the reef. This is unusual for the time because the expedition included motorised vehicle transport and an aircraft. And accompanying Lasseter were experienced Bushmen's friend Blakely, who was the leader, Frank Colson, as well as uh, George Sutherland, who was a prospector, Phil Taylor was an engineer and driver, and Blakeson Houston, who was the Governor-General's aide as an explorer, and Errol Coote, who was the pilot. On the 21st of July 1930, the group left Alice Springs. Lasseter was a sullen companion and a very vague guide. They headed for, I think it's called Ilbilba, um, it's also a soak with an aerodrome created earlier that year for Donald George Mackay's expedition near Lake Mackay. The group endured logistical difficulties and physical hardships, including the loss of a plane. On reaching Mount Marjorie, which is now known as Mount Leisler, Lasseter declared that they were about 150 miles or 240 kilometres far too north of the search zone. Exasperated, as you can imagine, Blakely declared Lasseter a, char a charlatan and decided to end the expedition, and they parted with Lasseter at Albia. Lasseter insisted on continuing the trek, accompanied by a dingo shooter called Paul Johns and his team of camels. Lasseter, whose behaviour was increasingly erratic, set off towards the Olgas. One afternoon, Lasseter returned to camp with some concealed rock samples and announced that he had relocated the gold reef. He refused to reveal its location. Johns, who by now started to doubt Lasseter's sanity, accused him of being a liar. A fight broke out and Johns left Lasseter to his own devices, returning to civilization. Lasseter himself trudged off to the desert sands with two camels. A search for Lasseter was conducted by a bushman, Bob Buck. In March 1931, Buck found Lasseter's body at Winters Glen and his personal effects in a cave at Hulls Creek. From Lasseter's diary, it was learned that after Johns had left, Lasseter's camels bolted, leaving him alone in the desert without any means of sustaining himself or, or be being able to return. He apparently encountered a group of nomadic aboriginals who rendered assistance with food and shelter, but a weakened and blinded Lasseter eventually died of malnutrition and exhaustion, having made a belated attempt to walk from the cave to Uluru. Now, various statements by Paul Johns reveal the areas where he and Lasseter travelled and searched well together. The Peterman and Rawlinson Ranges, then southwest of the Warburton Range, then a zigzag course evidently following the ranges eastward to the WA border, ending at the Padati Rock Hole at the eastern end of the Man Range in South Australia. Almost out of supplies, they re returned to LB about where they parted. Now, geologists have made various statements as to whether or not there are gold-bearing areas actually in, the, in this country. 
1931, geologist T. Blatchford and H.W.B. Talbot, accompanying Bob Buck, pronounced the region as unpromising, but they only inspected the Peterman Range and the eastern end of the Rawlinson Range, travelling no farther west than the Sladen Waters. In 2014, geologists likened the southern part of Laster's search area to the Bushfield Complex in South Africa, where gold deposits do occur and said the region has high potential, quoting a 2002 report of copper gold vein style material found north of the Kavanagh Range. In the later history, there's no maps showing the location of the fabled gold reef wherever found. And other subsequent decades, the tale of the reef and its discoverer have assumed sort of mythic proportions. It is perhaps the most famous lost mine legend in Australia and remains a holy grail among Australian prospectors. Popular adventure-style author Ion Idris, in his book Lasseter's Last Ride, gives a, that's in 1931, gives a detailed description of Lasseter's time of the Aborigines. His diary notes were hidden from the Aboriginals by being burned under camp, buried under campfires. They had shunned Lasseter after um, one of their men pointed the bone at him and he was condemned to be ignored and no longer cared for. Another story is told that um, it's actually available in the Living Archive of Aboriginal Languages as well where you can where you can listen to that. Now, in popular culture, Lasseter's Reef became a famous Australian folktale. It has inspired a subplot in the film Strike Me Lucky in 1934 and Lasseter's fate was recreated in the movie Phantom Gold in 1936. In 1974, the Australian Film School worked on a film version of Lasseter's Last Ride. There's actually two songs titled Lasseter's Last Ride, and the second, the first one was by Peter Dawson in 1940, the second one in 2012. And Luke Walker's 2013 documentary featuring Lasseter's Bones, that's what the name of the feature is rather, explores the life and legend of Lasseter and documents the filmmaker's many attempts to locate the notorious Lasseter's Reef. The film also follows Lasseter's elderly son Bob on his last desert expedition to find his father's lost gold and explores the many complex strands of the Lasseter mystery. And it is a mystery as well. What about the man behind it all? Who was this guy called Lasseter? He was born Lewis Harold Bell Lasseter. Uh, September 1880 he was born and died in early 1931. He's also known as Harold Lasseter and they say he was an Australian gold prospector and as we name he, know, he claimed to have fabulously found a rich gold reef in central Australia. He was born in Victoria, self-educated. He was literate and well-spoken and commonly described as an eccentric and opinionated man. He travelled in both Australia and the United States and he worked in a variety of occupations, marrying twice and fathering five children. Lasseter, of course, was made famous by his sensational claim first asserted in 1929 that, as we know, as a young man, he had discovered a fabulously rich gold reef, an entity now known as Lasseter's Reef, somewhere in central Australia. He went on and, as we know, he perished in the desert near the WA Northern Territory border the date is unknown, they just say early 1931 after he separated himself from the expedition that was mounted in an effort to rediscover the supposed reef. His body was found and buried in March 1931 by Bob Buck, a Central Australian bushman and pastoralist who was sent to search for Lasseter. His body was later reinterred in the Alice Springs Cemetery. Now the book Lasseter Did Not Lie by A. Stapleton was published in Adelaide in 1981. It refutes the idea that Lasseter was no more than a con man. The book claims that he may have been largely telling the truth with supporting evidence. 
It was written because Fred Blakely, who was leader of that 1930 expedition and others, had branded Lassiter a charlatan who ripped off his investors in a clever scheme to convince them that such gold reefs existed. Blakely even claimed that Lassiter did not die in Central Australia but escaped to America. Although Lassiter has been accused of romancing or lying about his gold reef, it is plain that many of Lassiter's associates spread misinformation about him as they were being blamed for his death, having left him unsupported for months out in the desert. Even those government officials who helped spread, un- uh, they helped spread untruths concerning Lassiter in an attempt to destroy the idea of a rich gold find in Central Australia. For in the 1930s, too many prospectors were getting into difficulties and requiring expensive and extensive search and rescue operations. A notable exception amongst Lassiter's associates was the expedition pilot Errol Coote, who believed in the essential truth of Lassiter's story. So with a plethora of contradictory statements over the years, it's now really difficult or almost impossible to separate history from myth with regard to Harry Lassiter. As an example, in his World War I military records, Lassiter is documented as having been medically examined on the 30th of October 1917 and found to be, quote, mentally deficient and as having marked hallucinations in a peculiar manner and constantly talking. That finding ignored other documentations which recorded that in September he had been taken to hospital unconscious with a head injury and had spent from the 11th of September to the 22nd of October in two different hospitals recovering. After the medical board's finding, he was discharged from the army on the 2nd of November 1917. Yet, in 1918, Lassiter wrote and published an impressive poem denouncing war. He was also a prominent spokesman for a group of citizens planning a large wooden shipbuilding project at Port Welshpool in Victoria, a project which only collapsed because the war ended and contracts for wooden ships were withdrawn. Lassiter's efforts at that time were not those of a mentally deficient man, you would have to say. His story, well, is it the subject of non-fiction? Who knows? The true story about the man, no one will ever know. There's been plenty of books written, um, songs, as we've said, and a few documentaries as well about Harold Lassiter and his famous reef of gold, if only exists. Maybe one day they'll find it. Or maybe they have found it. No one's saying anything. Who knows? We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the show in just a moment. The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast. Hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travel podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the Road Less Travel Podcast. Don't forget to drop us a line. Email us at fatcat at iinet.net.au. That's fatcat with a P-H-A-T-C-A-T, fatcat at iinet.net.au. Check out our website too, fatcatmedia.com.au. And there you can find all the information about what the show is about and a little bit too about what Fat Cat Media is. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and check out our YouTube page too. We'd love to hear from you. You can drop me an SMS on 042-752-8467. Back to Lassiter's Reef, will it ever be found? Well, since its purported discovery now more than over 120 years ago, Lassiter's Reef is that fabled rich gold outback quartz vein. It's eluded both fortune hunters and researchers. Does it exist? 
In the first issue of the Australian Geographic magazine in 1986, the magazine's founder, adventurer and entrepreneur, Dick, Smo- Dick, Smoth, Dick Smith, he wrote that there are six books published on Lassiter's Reef and a major documentary. I've thoroughly researched the lot and I still have a completely open mind. The fabled Goldrich Quartz Reef was said to have been found somewhere west of the McDonnell Ranges in Central Australia by Lassiter in anywhere from 1880, uh, 1897 right onwards. Since then, it's been a thing of legend. No one's found it as yet. During the past probably, I'd say, yeah, 30 years alone, it's featured in at least uh, 10 Australian Geographic stories, been the subject of numerous books and films, including that documentary Lass's Bones and has inspired countless adventurers to launch expeditions to Central Australia in search of the long-lost gold quarry. To date, however, the reef which Lasseter claimed was laden with gold and he said it measured some 7 miles or 11.3 kilometres long, 4 to 7 feet, which is 1.2 to 2.1 metres high, and 12 feet, 3.7 metres wide. It has remained elusive. Today, though, Dick Smith still confirms that while he remains quite sceptical about its existence, he also won't completely rule it out. Not so optimistic about the chance of Lasser's mythical gold seam ever being found is Geoscience Australia, which is the national agency for research into the geology and geography of our country. If you have an opportunity, jump onto their website and you can download their app as well. And that's where you can find some fantastic information on the geology and the layout of um, Australia. And it really helps if you're out there looking for gold too. But that's just a little tip. Other than the claims that uh, was made by Lasseter and the various parties that subsequently looked for the reef, there's no real independent evidence that Geoscience Australia um, is aware of the gold-bearing quartz reef in the areas to the west and southwest of Alice Springs towards and across to the South Australian West Australian borders. Geoscience Australia pours further cold water on the possible existence of the reef which Lasseter claimed he discovered when he was about 17 year old during a prospecting expedition he later said was forced to abort after his horses died and he ran out of water. Lasseter's numerous mistakes in Central Australian geography and also as to the layout of Alice Springs recorded in several published books, it really cast considerable doubt on his ferocity. Even if he suspected, feared or knew his samples were fool's gold like pyrite or iron sulphate, he said they were gold for his own reasons and I think he probably wanted, wouldn't he, to justify his actions. There's two books that cast much doubt over the existence of the reef. Murray Hubbard's 1993 investigation um, on Lasseter's life, it's called The Search for Harold, and Lasseter, The True Story of the Man Behind the Myths and historian uh, Chris Clark's 2015 Olaf suitcase, Lasseter's Reef Mystery Solved. Those who have followed Lasseter's story closely will be aware that prior to the 1930 uh, Central Australian Gold Exploration Expedition to rediscover the lost reef, Lasseter claimed to have visited Central Australia on three separate occasions in 1897, 1900 and 1911. Murray Hubbard is the man who turned the story around. He proved in his book that before the 1930 expedition, Lasseter had never even visited Central Australia. His conclusion that the story of the reef was actually made up. And I can tell you that if you have a look at Chris Clark's own extensive research, it support Murray's findings. Records dug up by Murray proved that Lasseter was in reformatory school in Pakenham in Victoria in 1897. And although he absconded in mid-October, 
It wouldn't have given him enough time to follow a gold reef in Central Australia in the same year, says Chris. So if Lassiter had never previously set foot in Central Australia, how did he convince a consortium in 1930 to fund the adventure, the largest inland expedition since that of Burke and Wills in 1860, to find a reef he knew didn't exist? And just as poignantly, why did he carry on with the search to the point that it cost him his life? Well, the answer to the first question is now well accepted amongst Lassiter's affectionados. It was the Great Depression. People were battling to put food on the table for their families. The opportunity of finding a gold bonanza so big that it would lift Australia out of its economic doldrums proved, proved irresp- irresistible. Lassiter was also desperate to feed his own family. The key, some say, to unlocking the second part of the riddle lay in the most unexpected location. A long-forgotten suitcase hidden on the other side of the world that belonged to Chris Clark's late Swedish grandfather, Olaf Johansson, and that's not a joke, who spent many years dingo trapping in Central Australia in the early to mid-1900s. For much of his life, Chris had little more than a passing interest in the Lassiter case, but that all changed when Luke Walker, who was director of Lassiter's Bones, contacted Chris's mother in 2010, alerting her to two pieces of correspondence that provided a tangible link between Olaf and Lassiter. One was a telegram sent on the 16th of June 1930 by Olaf on receiving a letter from Lassiter, probably in reply to a letter Olaf had sent stating that he knew the location of the reef. The other was a letter from July 1930, which appears that Olaf was responding to an approach by Lassiter to assist him in the capacity as a guide to try and relocate that lost reef. During a trip to Sweden to, in 1914, uh, 2014 rather, to visit his grandfather's grave and meet surviving members of his family, Chris Clark was gifted the suitcase that Olaf had carried with him when he returned home from Australia 65 years before. Chris says inside were a collection of photographs that showed conclusively that he must have been out in Central Australia in 1928 and 1929. He adds that his photographic evidence was supported by the timely release of the personal papers of Neville Wolfe, a man who worked with Olaf in Kalgoorlie in 1929-1930. These papers reveal that Olaf told Neville he stumbled upon a stone reef in the Rawlinson Ranges in Central Australia upon which an old shallow shaft had been sunk. Chris says it was only when he read that Lassiter's expedition had been assembled in Sydney that Olaf must have connected the dots and began to think that he might have stumbled on the diggings that Lassiter had claimed to have made when he first discovered the reef. It appears, says Chris, that my grandfather was yet another sucker taken in by Lassiter's swindle. So armed with information on Olaf's gold find, much to the annoyance of other members of that 1930 expedition, Lassiter changed his story about where he found the reef. Instead of heading to the West Macdonald Ranges, he demanded they search much further southwest near the Rawlinson and Peterman Ranges. Now this behaviour was totally consistent with the fact that he wasn't looking for the reef he originally told everybody about, for he knew that that was total rubbish. Instead, we suspect that Lassiter was looking for the reef that Olaf had found. Now Fred Blakely, who was the leader of that 1930 expedition, nailed it when years later he labelled Lassiter a liar and a fraud. There's only one thing for sure, though. If some incredible fluke, somebody stumbles over a rich goldfield in Central Australia, the only thing you can be damn sure of is that it wasn't Lassiter's Reef. We know that now. So Chris Clark created a compelling two-hour video production um, that, will, that it's a good um, sort of tell-all document, documentary uh, chronicling his findings, and it will 
dispel, dispel rather the Lazarus myth. Now, despite mounting evidence stacked up against the existence of Lassiter's Reef, an ever-growing list of people from serious prospectors to maverick fortune hunters continue to look for it. The most dedicated of those was 94-year-old Bob Lassiter, the son of Lassiter himself. Bob was just five years old when his father left on the ill-fated expedition in 1930, and he spent much of his adult life trying to restore his father's reputation. He completed more than 35 separate expeditions combing the deserts of Central Australia, though often in inhospitable country. At the time of 2016, he said, My father wouldn't have taken the risks he did when there was nothing in it. Um, it's right for me to prove that my father was correct. Early in the, do- this, in the he was interviewed in the um, documentary Lasseter's Bones, and Bob's wife, Elsie, made an on-screen plea to filmmaker Luke Walker. She said, The newspaper accounts tend to take the mickey out of Bob because he's going back to look for the reef. I sure hope yours comes out a lot nicer. Clearly operating under this constraint, Luke Walker generously tiptoes around Lasseter's sort of nature, but others such as Robert Ross, who has created the online encyclopedia of information about Lasseter called Lasseteria, well, he's much franker in the assessment of his character. Robert says, of course, Lassiter's Reef does not exist and never has. The whole thing is a litany of fake news and faker history. It's indeed an unbeatable lie, and the victim is going to be Bob Lassiter, who has believed utterly and completely a fraud perpetrated by his father and a whole lot of rogues that I wouldn't have had at my table. So anyone who's visited Lassiter's country will know Bob is far from alone in his quest to find the legendary reef. It's almost become a rite of passage for anyone travelling through the Red Centre and beyond. One such hopeful planning of a trip to Lassiter country is Jacob West. Now living in Bendigo, Jacob grew up in Northern Territory close to the route travelled by that fateful 1930 expedition. He said as a kid, like me, he always found the whole story fascinating and he, he also admits to falling well and truly victim to the Lassiter bug. He's collected every piece of Lassiter literature he can put his hands on and can't wait to get out there to search for the reef himself. It's the sort of country, he says, that really gets under your skin. One of the more popular destinations for those in search of the reef is the cave in the Peterman Ranges where Lassiter bunkered down during his last days in January 1931, waiting for help after his camels bolted with his provisions. It was here that a starving Lassiter famously scrawled some of his last words in his diary. What good a reef worth millions is, I would give it all for a loaf of bread. Not surprisingly, given his extensive research, Chris Clark believes anyone looking for Lassiter's reef is wasting their time. That tri-border area of South Australia, Northern Territory and WA has been crisscrossed by so many expeditions. If there was anything even remotely resembling what Lassiter described, it would have been found by now. In contrast, Dick Smith, ever the adventurer and also a former friend of Bob Lassiter, believes the quest to find the Holy Grail of Outbike Australia should continue forever. He says, I want people to keep searching for it because it's the most wonderful Australian romantic mystery. It's our El Dorado and it's very important for our country to have people like Harold Lassiter, who for me was an extraordinary adventurer, who genuinely believed that there was a reef out there and went out to search for it and lost his life trying to find it. Deep down, says Dick Smith, he hopes the reef is actually never found. He says, I quite like the idea of being out there but never able to be found because you just keep searching for it. He also recalls another outback mystery that he did solve, the location of the Kookaburra, which was the light aircraft that was forced to land in the Tanami Desert in 1929. 
Smith says, after several unsuccessful attempts in 1978, I made the mistake of finding it at Gatanami, and the problem in doing so was I couldn't go searching anymore. Renowned for offering rewards for conclusive evidence of thought to be extinct species or for proof of so-called paranoia abilities such as water divine, Dick falls short of offering a financial incentive to anyone who finds Lassiter's Reef. He believes there's no need to put a reward on the reef. And the debunkers of Lassiter's Reef myth may disagree, arguing that there is proof that the Tasmanian tiger too did once exist on Australian shores. So a little bit about Lassiter's Reef. Um... You just never know. There's more chance of Lassiter's Reef being found out there somewhere that extinct Dazzy Tiger still being alive, he reckons. Who knows? Well, we did know. As we said, we know that the Tasmanian Tiger did once exist in Tasmania and on the mainland of Australia. A little bit about Lassiter's Reef. I hope it's enthused you and, as I said, in popular sort of in the mid-2000s when they rediscovered the, the myth of Lassiter's Reef. If it's out there, I doubt it, but you never know. Um one day someone may just stumble upon it but you would think with all these big uh, mining exploration companies out there or, or geologists always uh, out in these regions trying to discover the next big payload of, of gold or whatever it might be out, out there whether it's even for gas dis- for gas discoveries as well that someone would have stumbled upon it by now but as we always say you never can tell and it's certainly in some very rugged country um, north of um, Marla in South Australia, if you head up um, through Coobapi, um and up through uh, to the location of Gan, head left there, you head through Imanpa, uh, uh, Yulara, um, and you can find Lassiter's Cave that way. It's um, not the kind of trip that you do for a day trip up towards Alice Springs, out through the Peterman Ranges, Marini as well. Um, but you, you can follow the route of um, where Lasseter's Cave is, a good little tourist attraction too, in Kunapua in the Peterman Ranges of the Northern Territory. Make sure you jump online and check out um, plenty of Lasseter's Reef. You might actually need permits to go out and visit Lasseter's Cave being on uh, traditional land. That's it for this edition of the Road Less Travelled Podcast. Trust you've enjoyed it. If you've got some feedback, love to hear from you. If you're on the way out to go and find Lasseter's Reef, I'd love to hear from you too. And if you find it, please let me know. I'll be your best friend forever. My name is Nikki Shea. This has been the Road Less Travelled Podcast, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. This has been the Road Less Travelled, a podcast about travelling and camping on the road. Written and hosted by me, Nikki Shea, produced by Fat Cat Media. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we'd love you to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Even better, please leave a review. Any comments or questions, please email fatcat at iinet.net.au and to be notified on the new episodes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. We'll be back with a new episode next week.